got a Bible, please could turn to Psalm 46. That was going to be my grand moment ruined by Steve a minute ago. But anyway, we're in the Psalms. Um, book of Psalms, bang in the middle of the Bible. Um, the, the hymn book of the Old Testament people of God, essentially. Um, and we're going to look at one of these today. Now, just to say, um, we've not given up on our 1 Peter series two verses in. That would be a little bit... Uh, a bit early. Um, we're just having a, a break. This is the way the preaching rotor goes at different sites. Today we're, in, we're having a standalone talk, but as you might see as time goes on, it will feed a little into the 1 Peter series. So we'll be back with 1 Peter next week. Today we're in Psalm 46. If you've not got a Bible, it will appear, I imagine, behind me. This is what it says. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Not bad, is it? Good psalm? Do you like that one? Yeah, good, because that's what we're looking at today. Um, I think this psalm is, has an incredible relevance for us um, living at the time we do, uh, maybe particularly this week, potentially. Um, and if I was to hone in, I don't know if it struck out to you, the verse that kind of jumps out at me instantly is verse 6, the nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. I mean, what could that mean? I, I imagine, my guess would be at some point within the last week or two, um, something like that thought has been in your head. We're looking at different situations. And um, at home, obviously, the political situation, uh, our nation, our kingdom, the United Kingdom, uh, it looks unstable. It really, we don't know what's going on, I would assume, for most of us. And if you do, please tell our government. Um, but the only, I think, thing going for us at the moment is that when you look around the world, it's not like anyone else seems to have got it particularly sorted either. And as you, as you look at uh, America, Russia, China, the nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms sometimes crumble or rise up in uh, ways that are concerning. For us as a church, as we'll know, uh, Rich and Judy O'Carroll, Helen Walter, we sent out to Beirut in Lebanon um, years ago, and they're building a Christian community uh, there. And I don't know if you spotted on the news, it just about made it eventually. You know what? That, that nation is in turmoil as well. Israel attacking over the border to Hezbollah, Hezbollah attacking back over the border. The, the nations are in chaos, their kingdoms crumble. <clears throat> and the imagery in this psalm is an image of these shaking mountains and waters rising up. And uh, for us, um, if you've lived in England for any length of time, um, I presume this would be the case. We're not that familiar with earthquakes, we're not that familiar with tidal waves, but that picture is familiar to us. We understand what that picture is doing, and what it's talking about is an established order that is being shaken and changed, and we can, I think, identify with that. Um, There's obviously huge social changes happening. There's boundaries that we've been used to for years uh, being moved. There's an uprooting and a shaking, and it's potentially concerning. And if you're concerned about that stuff, I don't blame you. 
I think there's a potential concern for all of us um, there. And maybe a slightly different way in our church at the moment, there's a shadow of this. Um, we're not hoping to crumble and fall into the sea anytime soon. It'd be hard to see that in Birmingham, wouldn't it, really? To crumble and fall into the sea. But anyway, we're, we're not planning to crumble um, and, and disappear. But there is a shaking of what we've known before. There is change afoot, as I'm sure, sure you're aware. And again, that can cause concern. So the question is then, with all of this, how should we respond to these potential sources of worry? And it's quite clear as we read through the, the song that although that's there, this is not a song designed to cause us to cower in a corner somewhere or pack our bags and move <laughs> to the highlands of Scotland, okay? What's verse 2 say? What's the, our, our emotional response should be, do not fear. The whole psalm is, don't fear. Don't fear, although you could fear, don't fear. Why? Why shouldn't we fear? Um, essentially, because God. I guess, I don't think that's what it's saying. But what about God in this psalm is the thing that stops us fearing? Well, it might not sound very comforting to you at first, but this seems to be the message of this psalm. The psalm is just sort of saying to the people of Israel and to us, saying, okay then, um, you think those political powers are scary. Um, okay, you, you think those social changes are scary. You think the armies and the earthquakes and the floods are scary. Well, I've got something to tell you. They are not half as scary as God. That seems to be what it's saying. <laughs> Look at verse 6. Earthquakes, mount, mountains tremble, and oceans roar and foam. Yes, but God, he doesn't even move his hands. He simply speaks. What happens to the earth? It melts. <laughs> that is a different level right there, okay? The earth melts at the sound of his voice. Human powers have armies to do their bidding and enforce their will. Who's God? Well, God is the Lord of heaven's armies. He is decisive in this psalm about human conflict. He brings peace. Sometimes he brings destruction. He stands opposed to corruption and evil in the world. And so you, you might be thinking, well, I was worried a minute ago. I'm even more worried now. I mean, another source of concern. God's even scarier. But of course, the psalmist's view is, no, this is really good for us. Why? Well, it's because the last thing we see in the psalm, that this God, the earth melter, the Lord of heaven's armies, what is he? He's our refuge and our strength. He's always there to help in times of trouble for his people. He's our fortress. Basically, he's on our side. More, more appropriately, probably he's brought us onto his side. We're on his team. And I guess that would have been an incredible encouragement for God's people in the Old Testament, in what they were going through. And I hope it's an encouragement for you here. I think I hope it's an encouragement for us in what we're going through. But the question we should ask, and the question I want to ask today is, okay then, in the light of all that, what do we do? How do we live our lives? And we get the answer in verse 10, and it's this verse I'd like to spend our time on today. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So it's a verse that I'm sure you've heard before, you've come across before. It's a great little slogan, but what does it mean to do that? Be still and know that I am God. This verse has a, has a personal connection with me, and I want to explain it. Not, I don't want to go be self-indulgent, uh, but I think I, from my connection with this verse, I hope will resonate with you, give a bit of explanation of, of I think, what's going on here, or how God uses this teaching to help us. Okay, and I know your situation will be different to mine, but God nailed me with this verse. <laughs> and this has been a really important verse for me in my life. And I, I just I think I'll start by explaining what I mean by that. So let's get a bit of nostalgia. Bear with me. I'll hopefully, Mike's got his whistle. He can blow it if I get too carried away. So, 
don't do that. <laughs> anyway, um, years ago, I, I finished uni. I did University of Birmingham, like so many of us, um, University of Birmingham degree years ago. And afterwards, worked for the church in a kind of junior capacity um, for a, three or four years, I, I guess. And I did loads of stuff. Is that thing, try stuff out where the church was at the time. That was kind of how it worked. Um, but the headline as that job role developed was really evangelism. It was, I was working full-time for the church three or four years, and when I got up in the morning, what was I there to do? I think, generally, I was there to share the good news of Jesus with people with a view to them becoming Christians. I think that's what I was <laughs> doing, okay? Um, and I took it on. I mean, like I said, it's a full-time job. There's hours involved here, and I didn't just sit around. I, I decided I would put myself into this, so I did a door-to-door evangelism. Anyone done any of that? Yeah, good number, okay? It's a dying art form. Well, we did a bit of that. Uh, street evangelism in the city centre. Did a bit of that. Um, did some youth evangelism and some student evangelism and some preaching evangelism. I mean, any kind of evangelism. Alpha evangelism. <laughs> I mean, all sorts. Any kind of evangelism. I, I did it. I threw myself into this stuff. And uh, when I look back on that time, uh, I'm really thankful for that time. I'm really thankful for what God did in me at that time. But I guess, as regards the results of Johnny Mellon Ministries, not so much, maybe. <laughs> and uh, God did do some great things. And uh, I mean, there may well be even people here today who are positively affected by that, that endeavor. Um, but it, it felt like I was doing lots of things and nothing was happening, e.g. very few people becoming Christians, I suppose. And this eventually and unfortunately came to the attention of the team at the time, and we all agreed it was time for me to get a new job. I think that was the idea, and that was fair enough. But So that was the context, but just before that happened, in a, I'm not going to go into detail about the, the actual thing, or there's another story, um, quite, a, quite a renowned prophetic guy gave me this verse, and he, he spoke to me, he said, be still and know that I am God. He wasn't talking about himself, he was <laughs> quoting uh, this verse. And at that time, really felt impacted by that verse in this context. Be still and know that I'm God. Like probably most of us would. That's a, that sounds great. Yeah, thank you, God. What does it mean? Don't know. Um, but the relevance of the verse only, only came out a little bit later. Because see, the next day, after leaving church work, I had been evangelist, thinking I'm doing all this evangelism stuff, and what's happening? I don't know, it's not related, the endeavor and activity doesn't seem to be related to the outcome. I decided to become a school teacher, a secondary school teacher. Who are secondary school teachers? There's a few. Secondary school students, where are you? Yeah, there's some of you here, it's great. So I saw a hand, you're doing the right thing. Hands up, please. Your eyes on me while you talk. Anyway, um, so I became a secondary school teacher, and I'll be honest, I think I went into the secondary school teaching in Johnny Mellon Ministries mode, if I'm being honest, okay? I was like, yeah, there's these young people who always want to do work and stuff, and uh, I'm sure we'll deal with the teaching side, but I'm here to share the gospel. That's why I'm, I'm in this job. Um, <laughs> now, very quickly, and I'm very thankful that this happened very quickly, I realized this was not going to work. This, this did not cut it, because strangely, who would have thought it turned out, I know that some of the others, you won't have dawned on you yet, but um, teaching's reasonably demanding as a job. <laughs> it's reasonably emotionally draining, and it consumes your time. And I realized, unless I put my heart and soul into this, I am going to be fired from my job. 
That was, that's not hypothetical, that was real, a real thing. Uh, there wasn't time or space to do street evangelism in the playground. I mean, these things were awkward. And I basically got to a point where I kind of reluctantly, I think, and feeling a bit of a failure, if I'm being honest, thought, I do not have capacity to do all of the things I think I'm meant to be doing, so Johnny Mellon Ministries must die. I just want to be good at this job and still be a Christian. That's what I'd like to do. I got to that point. It was pretty hard because I, I had that first year was tricky, as I'm, I'm sure many of you heard this story before. And so I kind of threw the towel. I abandoned Johnny Mellon Ministries. I just thought, let's just be a teacher. With that, that happened, it's a Thursday afternoon. There is a year nine class who've made my life absolute hell for the last few months. So you can see, I hope this is therapeutic for you because I'm really enjoying this. Um, they're all lining up against the wall, shirts untucked. End of the day, they're a rabble, basically. And I'm like, oh, I'm dying here. Like, as this is happening, I'm trying to get him in. This lad appears in front of me, a year 11 lad. I'd taught him once in a cover lesson. Didn't know him from Adam, really. And he goes, hello, sir, have this. Gave me a note. I was like, whatever, what am I doing here? Go, see you, bye. And th then get this class in. My, my reputation was in tatters enough. I didn't want them fighting in the corridor. So get him in. And I just glanced at the notes. And this is what it said. I remember to this day, the, the words, it said, Dear Mr. Meller, I am, my family aren't Christians, and I have never been to church. But I've started reading my Bible, and I want to become a Christian. I've heard you're a Christian. Can you help me? <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if it dawned on me at that moment, but reflecting on that, suddenly I realized the relevance of this verse. Uh, what happened to me was I had been stilled. When that word was brought to me, be still and know that I'm God, I probably thought, oh, that's some good advice. Yeah, I'll try to put that into practice. I wonder if it was more like when God said, let there be light. <laughs> that wasn't a contemplative process from the universe at that point. It was as I speak, it happens. I think God was saying, be still. You are being stilled now. This is what's happening to you, and I'm going to show you something. That it's not about your endeavor it's not about how hard you work. It's not about how enthusiastic you are. It's about my work. And I can do it even when you do nothing. And it wasn't that I suddenly realized, oh, good, evangelism, that's a waste of time. It, I didn't feel chastised like I'd done the wrong thing. I just suddenly realized, whoa, God's in charge here, isn't he? <laughs> not me. That's an incredibly liberating uh, conclusion to come to. Now, as I said, your situation is going to be very different from mine, but I'd argue this verse is, is absolutely vital for all of us to get our hand, hand on. We need to know what it means to be still and know that God is God. We have to learn this lesson. Let's put it another way. I, I think we need to know what it means to still our spirits or let God still our spirits and also, when necessary, to still our physical activity and recognize that it's God's action that's decisive and not ours. I really encourage you. I just want to think about that for a second. Have you come to that conclusion? Do you know what that means? Do you know what that looks like in your life? Now, again, I, I just want to keep underlining this because there's a tension throughout this message that I can see. I'm not advocating passivity or inaction. I'm not saying that we don't really have anything to contribute at all. No, no, not at all. We have a vitally important part to play in, in loads of... It's an amazing gift that God wouldn't just do it all himself or, I don't know, get the angels to do it. That would be a, a, seem like a good strategy. No, no, we've got a part to play. It's important. But while we have an important part to play, we do not have the decisive part to play. And at the beginning of 
this is a term that I'm sure is going to be busy for us. It's going to be busy in our friendships, and it's going to be busy in our families, and it's going to be busy in our jobs, and it's going to be busy in our homes, and it's going to be busy in our church. I, I just know that. That's not like, whoa, the prophetic insight here is astonishing. I just know that's the case for us at the beginning of September. Right now, I want to encourage us all to get things in the right order on this one. Our activity, God's activity, our stillness, how do these things fit together? So how do we do that? I think there's two things that we, we do to do that. I think we need to still our spirits, and I think we need to still our bodies. And prob- Either way, it's not like one in one order. I think both of those two things feed into each other, as I'll, I'll explain. So first of all, we need to still our spirits. There are certain emotions that we just need to recognize are there and bring them to God. So I'll ask you, please think over what I'm saying. Are you worried about things today? I just encourage you to think of what they are. What is it that's worrying you at the moment? Are you, would you even go further and say, look, I'm anxious. I, I've been anxious about things for ages. There's an anxiety in me. Are you angry about things today? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It could be righteous anger. But there are things that are boiling in your spirit. Is there a bitterness or a confusion that's rumbling on and causing you not to be at peace? There's no point hiding from those things. God sees them. They affect us. We need to know how to give them to God and still them. It's not like, as I mentioned a second ago, it's not like I'm saying these things are all bad things. Let's give an example of something that's clearly a good thing that could be in this category. I would hope that for us, we have a desire for justice. I hope, hope that's the case. Uh, desire for justice for ourselves, that can be a good thing if we've been wronged, that's one thing. Probably more I'm talking about, desire for justice for others, for those we know who've been wronged, uh, for the marginalized in our society, for others who are being oppressed in different places. And that's a really good I- desire. And I, I, in no way am I saying get rid of that desire, just, just don't care anymore. Apathy rules, it's much easier. I'm not saying that at all, but I have to explain this carefully, but even with something very good like a desire for justice, we do know and need to know how to keep that still at times. We need to know how to hold that with peace at times. And I think we do that by recognizing that God is far more passionate about justice than what we are. And that ultimately, God is the one who will vindicate all that is right and crush all that is wrong in the world. That is what God is the judge means. That's what he's going to do on judgment day. Stilling our spirit means recognizing that the buck does not stop with you. And it stops with God and God is happy for that to be the situation. That's how he's made the universe. Stilling our spirits means settling that God's in charge, but also that he's trustworthy with your life, with your friends' lives, and with the lives of every other person who is alive on planet Earth. Christianity is based, is a a faith, that's what we would say, because actually it's a very good description, because Paul says in Romans 1, it's from faith, from first to last. Everything we do is faith, which is trust in God. And I'm not saying once you do this, you know, you reach this place of Zen and suddenly everything's okay and you understand the world and you see the butterfly's wing flapping in slow motion like you get in some movies or something. No, we'll still have huge questions about how God allows things to work out. 
We have some massive questions about how he runs the earth, but the call for us as Christians, first and foremost, is trust. Do we trust him? We need to settle that ultimately God is infinitely good, he is infinitely powerful, and he is intimately concerned with the fate of the human race and the creatures that make up that race. And with that settled, what happens to us? Well, it stills our restless, wounded, and fearful spirits. And once that's happened, what do we do? Well, then we act. Then we do the things God's asked us to do. But we do so humbly and also with confidence. And actually, from that basis, we can actually do people good. If we're not coming from that basis, probably all that will happen is we will make a fuss. Now, we need to still our spirits. But with that said, if we just stop there, we really are to wriggle out of this instruction because it's like when you say to someone for a, a party, oh, I could, oh, I'll be there in spirit. Well, you all know that means you won't be there, doesn't it? And when you say, I still my, myself in my spirit, there is a danger that you're saying, I'm not going to still myself. Okay, so we need to do more than that. And we need to still our bodies as well. The way God has made us, the Bible would say, is that we are this complex and mysterious amalgamation, hybrid mixture of spirit and body, okay? And it's, it's mystery. If you think, oh, it's easy, isn't it? We're just a spirit in a shell. Like, in a, that's how it is. Like a little ghosty thing. And if the body died, it will just kind of go out. That's not what the Bible says, okay? It's very unclear how our spirit and our bodies interact. But what we do know is, what happens in our spirits affects our bodies and how we act, but what happens in our bodies also, how we act, also affects our spirits. Both things work together. So we need to still our bodies. Because, you see, modern life does not just give us things to worry about. It gives us things to do. <laughs> Have you noticed this? Modern life gives us things to do, doesn't it? I've got a friend uh, who came to, to uh, an event we were putting on at a church a few years ago. Uh, and on the way home in the, the car, he was saying, oh, found that fascinating, really interesting. Um, never really thought about that stuff before, but here's my question, is this, I need to think about this. I really need to give this some thought. I've spent the whole rest of my life not thinking about this, and this is, I can see how important this is, but I'm not going to be able to. How on earth am I going to be able to spend the time to properly think about this with all of the things that I'm doing? I've got my kids, I've got my house, I've got my job, my wife's got her job. We, we're just trying to get things together. I don't have time. I don't have time to think about this. I, I realize it. I'd not really thought of it before, but the, the culture of ceaseless activity is probably one of the key ways the devil robs the word from people who don't know it, from those who aren't Christians. Because I just don't have time to be able to engage with it at all. And a similar thing can happen to us, I think. There's a trap here in what the world gives us to do. It's one, let's, let's be clear, some of the stuff the world gives us to do is really fun, it's really interesting, it's really, it really helps us, but there's a trap and we need to free ourselves from it. And the good news is that God saw this coming way before WhatsApp and way before smartphones and way before modern discussions of work-life balance. He knew this at the very beginning. The first thing that happened, he knew this was going to be an issue. So, Genesis 2 God has made the heavens and the earth, as we are well drilled in, having been in Genesis for about a year, okay? And then the seventh day, as it says in Genesis 2, the beginning, what does God do? He, he rests. It's very sedate and very 
calm. I like that. That was good. Uh, he rests, and he rested. And he, uh, he says it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation on the seventh day. Then years later, Moses takes God's people out of Israel. And uh, in, the, in the desert, he, uh, God tells him they need a rules. They need a law to live by these, these, these guys before they get to their promised land. And uh, the, the peak of the law, the, the tip of the iceberg, if you like, is the, the Ten Commandments. And commandment number four, Moses says, we, we'll probably all be uh, kind of aware of this. Remember, um, Exodus 20 verse 8 says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And so on the back of that, if you are familiar with your Old Testament, you will find that the Old Testament people of God reasonably rigorously upheld the law of the Sabbath. Okay, And for them, that was Saturday. And on Saturday, nobody did any work, literally at pain of death. Okay, And that's, that rumbled on for a while. But as that rumbled on for a while, something weird happened. And the way the people of God started viewing the Sabbath was more as this kind of rule-keeping, uh, tick-box, let's-look-holy thing, rather than following the wisdom that God had put into place through these kind of instructions. And Jesus, when he comes along, actually, he clashes with the religious leaders time and time again on how they were applying the, this kind of Sabbath idea, this day off a week, day of rest idea. And so sometimes people look at it and think, well, Jesus is a bit, well, what's he like with the Sabbath? I think this is out the window. The thing is, while Jesus clashed with the leaders on how they applied the Sabbath, he was very, very clear that the principle of Sabbath was really important for us. So Mark 2.27, in an argument with the Pharisees, Jesus says this. He sums up his view of the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath, the day of rest, was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Now, I think there are questions uh, about Sabbath for us as Christians, but we've got to hear God's wisdom on this. The Sabbath, a day of rest each week, and rhythms of rest in our life, this is not about ticking a box. It's not about fulfilling an archaic religious commitment. It's about recognizing some things that are deep needs that have been put in us by our Creator. See, see what it says? It's, it's, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And I know that as, as modern people, we like to think, when we look back in history, um, we're like a different species from them years ago. Moses and them, yeah, kind of humans, but they were very basic. And so we're di really different. You know, I, I'm sorry about this, guys. I'm sorry to, 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 to stand in the way of your chronological snobbery, which is a great, great phrase. Um, we're the same. We're still people. We have the same needs. And we have the same needs as people in Moses' time, in Jesus' time. The Sabbath was made to meet our needs. So how do we practically apply that wisdom uh, in our lives, the, the, the idea of Sabbath? Well, someone said this to me. I, I don't know. I'm open to feedback on these things. Someone said, Johnny, you sometimes overcomplicate matters. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get a bit abstract. Okay? Um, so this time, I want to just keep this as simple as I can. How do we apply the Sabbath? Okay, please go with me here. I think we should take a day off every week. <laughs> You with me? That's not too abstract, okay? I think we should take a day off every week. Now, just to say, Jonathan preached on this over the summer. It's a sermon called From Exhaustion to Rest, I think it was called. It's on the website, and it, it will give much more help and detail. I want to just keep this dead simple, if, if that's okay with you. Um, I want to encourage for us, if you can, 
and I think most of us probably can, look to take a day off from your regular work or full-time study for one day a week. Again, I, obviously, there's a danger here of becoming a Pharisee on the whole thing. I want to clarify, there are, there are obviously some exceptions here. And if for you, your work, in inverted commas, it might be unclear what that actually is. Sometimes those things are in so many different pockets, that's hard. For others, you just literally, it, your rhythm and the way that your work is, it is very, very difficult to systematically have that 24-hour period a week. And that is the case. I, I'm, I'm not saying that's not difficult, and I'm not saying that in some cases we're going to have to be more creative. The example that springs to mind immediately would be parents of young children. So I remember me and my wife have had, Gemma have had loads of conversations about this. And the thing about uh, being a parent of young children is, uh, as I'm sure many of you will know, um, is a very time-consuming job. Um, it's a very skilled job, not very well paid as far as I'm aware, but it's a really hard job. And um, again, unless some of you might have cracked this one, um, and you might have some wisdom to share on it, but it's not necessarily very straightforward to take a literal 24-hour break every week from parenting your young children. <laughs> um, and we can't. So all I'm, I'm not saying, here's the rule, do this. Sometimes we need to be more creative in how we fight for these rhythms. But what we tend to do, I think, is we think, well, there's some exceptions here, and there are kind of some exceptions, and so therefore this whole thing becomes a bit fuzzy. But the exceptions do not disprove the general rule. For most of us, I think, it's probably pretty straightforward to see how to apply this, even if it's not straightforward to actually apply it. I, I want to uh, come clean on, on the debt that I owe uh, to my mum and dad for when I was growing up because they drilled this into me as a kid to the point where I didn't really have a choice on it, and I, in a sense, psychologically, I still don't. Um, this was just a non-negotiable in our household, and I think probably for some of us this would have been for a simple reason, that for our whole culture this was a non-negotiable, because Sunday trading laws. Who remembers living in, Sunday, in different Sunday trading laws? Be, and some of us would talk to some... Some of you say, Sunday trading laws, what's that? Everything was closed on a Sunday. And so it was, some of us grew up with that, and we don't realize, oh, this made this way easier to do. That's not the case for everyone anymore. And the pace of life means sometimes we change that. For me as a kid, uh, one day a week, it was Sunday. Uh, guys at school, you might be eyes widening up at this. I was not allowed to do any homework. Just wasn't allowed. It wasn't even an issue. I was at university, one day a week. For me, again, I chose Sunday. I did no university work almost for my entire university uh, time. When I was a secondary school teacher, again, it was on Sunday. I didn't do any marking or lesson planning on a, on a Sunday. And now in church, it's worked slightly differently, sometimes changes, but generally, Saturday, I try to do, not to do anything with my job. It's not like I go out and sin loads to church either. It's like, day off from being a Christian. No, it's not that, but specific stuff for my job. And I, I don't say this like, hey, look at me. I'm saying I can take no credit for that at all. That was drilled into me. I was taught that from a very young age. But what I know is this, I have hugely benefited from that. I have zero regrets about that state of affairs. And for, for those who've never got into this routine, I'd like to like, I get to go to the north side next and talk to my, my mum and dad will be right there. It's going to be really funny. I like, like that sort of stuff. But I'd like to like be my mum and dad. If you know them, I'd be more, probably more my dad than my mum, although you can probably uh, say that. But I'd like to be there and encourage you, as my parents encouraged me, uh, build this into your life. I'd encourage parents here, um, pass this on to your kids. You just, Isaiah's just started secondary and 
this was a decision we made. Like, Wait a minute, we haven't really thought about this in primary because it's up and down. No, Sunday, he's not, he's not doing any homework. We just made that clear to him. You've got to get it done at other times. This is the rhythm we want to set for your life. And, and we did it for him, and I'd encourage you to do it because it does us good. Yes, that's important. But there is much more at stake here than just doing us good. Because by building this into our weekly routine, what we are essentially doing is we are making a prophetic statement against the lie that is our work that is decisive. And that is massive. On the flip side, whatever your theology is, or whatever you think about these things, if you give in to ceaseless activity, it will program you into thinking, whether you like it or not, that everything rests upon you. And that's a dangerous place to be. And it's a place where our culture is. So taking a day off is a way of being still and knowing that God is God. But even with a very simple approach, if I was just to leave it there, that would be setting this slightly short for a principle of Sabbath and stillness, you know. Because um, I think there's a rhythm of stillness we need to be building into our everyday lives and, and even every moment lives in certain ways. And... Um, What's funny about this kind of stillness is it doesn't involve doing nothing. We often think be still means doing nothing. When we look at Jesus' example, which is the last thing I want to look at, is we see uh, that there's something involved in his stillness, how he did this, which is the last thing that I want to say. Because stilling our bodies can mean taking a day off a week. What did Jesus do, though? Now, while his approach to Sabbath was sometimes, well, what's he doing? Here, we don't quite fully understand this. There is no doubt that Jesus practiced stillness. And what's funny is he practiced stillness when for most of us, we would be naturally tempted to go into overdrive on effort, okay? And I think the best example I could think of is John chapter 6. So in John chapter 6, Jesus' ministry is taking off. He's just been going for a while. He's really going for it. He's done some great miracles. His teaching's going. He's just done this thing where he's fed over 5,000 people with some fish and some bread. And the crowd are like this. We've seen enough. This is the guy, and it says they were going to make him king. Okay, I don't know how they were planning to do this, but it says they were going to make him king. And so I want you to imagine you are there at that point next to Jesus, and you are going to give him some advice. Okay? I think for most of us, it would be something along the lines of, Carpe diem, Jesus. Seize the day. It's time. It's going to be tough the next while, but let's, let's roll your sleeves up. Time to burn the midnight oil. It's your chance to make an impact, to leave your mark on the world. What did Jesus do? John 6, 15. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. He withdraws. Stillness. What's he doing? Is he running away? Is he avoiding his responsibility? Is he being lazy? No, Jesus is acting out. Psalm 46, verse 10. Even for the Son of God, he knew this is not primarily about human activity. This is about the Father's plan, the Father's timing, and the Father's leading. And we know that because we know what Jesus did when he slipped away into the hills. Luke chapter 5 makes this very clear. Luke chapter 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew. This is a very regular thing for Jesus. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness. Why? For prayer. He went to pray. So how do we still our bodies? I'd encourage you. Day off a week is a good thing. That's a good thing. Let's fight for that where we can. And pray. Praying is practicing stillness. And I know recently we've, um, we've talked this about this a lot. In the series on Daniel, this came up quite a bit. 
about encouraging. And encouragement, again, keep encouraging for it. It's, again, a battle we all face. Try to build devotional time into each day where we can. It's really important. Um, and we've said a lot about that. And I think sometimes we think, yeah, because that's really important because we, it's good to tell God the things we want him to do. That's what praying is. Yeah, kind of. I suppose that's there somewhere. And then some of us will say, yeah, but it's about re- developing our relationship with God. That's why we do that. It's like, yep, definitely. Very important. But also, the other reason why it's good to build these things in each day is because it's a way of stilling ourselves. Because I've been long, around long enough to know that Whenever you kind of bring up the topic of devotional time, the common objection, and I'm not saying this from you lot, I'm saying from me as well as others I meet, is it sounds great in theory, but you know what? I've got too much to do to take that time. I've just got too much to do. And I recognize that's a genuine obstruction for many of us to our devotional times. It is. It's how it is. But that doesn't mean it's a good objection. In fact, I go as far as to say this. That objection illustrates the precise reason that we need to take time out to pray. Because one of the key reasons to put aside that regular time to pray is basically to say, I'm stopping here. Look, let's draw a line in the sand. My to-do list is not the most important thing in this world. The world does not rise and fall on whether I get this list done. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to beat against it. So the minute you think, I've got too much to do to pray, you know what? That's why we pray. By stopping to pray, essentially what, what we're saying is, God, I trust you. God, I rely on your work, not my own. I am going to still myself and recognize your God. And in the um, New Testament and in the Christian life, we know often it's presented as a fight and it's presented as a battle. And we often think of that in all sorts of ways. But as I close, I just want to say, I wonder um, if one of our chief battles in our culture, one of our chief fights is this fight, the fight for rest. Our friends are going under from this. Our society is, is warring against us. My, think of my friend across the road. One of the reasons he does not know Jesus at the moment is not because of these big questions. It's not because of necessarily loads of sin in his life, although I'm sure those things are there somewhere. It's because he's too busy. It's because he hasn't, he hasn't grasped God's wisdom for this, and he's had it robbed from him. Our society works us from the outside. It incites fear. It encourages ravenous consumption, materialism, and anxiety. And as it does it, it robs us of rest. The tools of everyday life continue the job. Tech companies spend billions of pounds to keep us in slavery to our devices. Fear of missing out. Clickbait. Notification after notification. What are they doing? They're robbing us of rest. And then from inside, the most insidious thing of all, from inside, our fallen selves join in and we whisper in our own ear, no, 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 you're the center of it all. If you don't do it, no one will do it. It's your activity that's decisive. And what does it do? It robs us of our rest. And into all of that, the God who can make mountains melt, the God who's in charge of all of heaven's armies, And the God who too is our fortress, our help, our refuge. His voice booms out above all of those voices and it says this to us. Be still and know that I am God.